I'll tell you, I know worship looks a little different these days, but man, we still worship. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your phones, I'd invite you to uh, turn or click to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, we'll start out in verse 12 today. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 12, we're in a series of sermons we've called Advancing the Gospel Together. Uh, and just to you know, piggyback off of Graham's song, as we look at the world around us as individuals and as a church, do we see the brokenness? Do we see the need for Jesus? And, you know, we know that Jesus loves us, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus has forgiven us, but there's people who don't. Uh, there's people who don't know that reality. And so God has called the church, His church, to be on a mission together to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, that is really the main focus of the book of Philippians, along with joy and many other themes. But the thrust that he's trying to talk to this church about is unifying together to advance the gospel of Jesus. And so as we open uh, this passage of scripture this morning, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the perfect, holy, and inspired word of God. And Father, as we open the Bible today, may it be a light for our feet, a lamp for our path. And Father, we ask today that what we know not, that you would teach us, what we have not, you would give us, and what we are not, you would make us, in the name of Jesus, amen and amen. About eight years ago, our youth ministry, were on the, we were on the way home from Caswell. Uh, many of our students, many of you may have been to Caswell before, and there's, as you leave the campus, there's that long two-lane road before you get to any kind of highway. Um, I was driving one van, which already put me under a considerable amount of stress, because I didn't really like driving the vans. There was a van in front of me pulling a trailer, and we were booking along really good. If you've ever chaperoned one of these camps, you know it's tiresome. And by the end of the week, you are ready to go home. And that is... Uh, yeah, y'all can laugh at that. I mean, we're ready to go. If you've spent a week with 6th through 12th grade, you're just ready to go home. And so I was ready. It had been one of those it had been one of those weeks. It was somewhat stressful of a week given Yeah, I know we're recording this, but they're not going to watch it. Given the students I had at that time, it had been a stressful week, okay? Uh they were uh, they, they picked on it. They picked with each other and they stole each other's stuff and there were fist fights and it was just one of those weeks. And all I want to do was go home. That was the objective of this Saturday. And so we got them up as early as possible. You know, I see, I'm, I don't know if Graham does this, but I'm the youth pastor that goes in about five o'clock and starts with the pots and pans just because I know they kept me up all night. So I'm going to wake them up early. I mean, that's the kind of guy I am. So we got him up. We got him packed in the stress of getting everything packed. And we got him packed. And so here we are, this two-lane road, just driving, middle of nowhere, I mean, just driving. And the trailer blows a tire. I mean, it just popped. Now, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't in that van, but I was driving the van behind. So I start going all over the place. Now, that has nothing to do with the point of the story. It's just me funny, being funny, reacting. I was in the ditch. I was on the road. I was on the other line. You know, it was bad. And so finally, we pulled off that wasted about an hour or two of our time to get home. Because what we found out is the spare tire in the trailer was flat. Okay, so all I want to do is go home. I want to give these kids back to their parents and let them bug them for the rest of the summer. 
and there's an obstacle of this tire and this flat tire in my way. Now, needless to say, my attitude was not very good. I was frustrated. I was mad. And you don't know me that well yet, but I can have a temper. And and so kids were getting out of the van. And I was yelling at them. I was threatening to beat them. And we would never do that. But this obstacle had created a problem and had stopped me from getting to my destination, which was home. And we finally got it fixed. Um, what we did is we, the smarter people in the group, the smarter adults, they put the flat tire on the trailer and said, we'll make it. Now, we didn't have to make it all the way home. We made it about 45 minutes to a service station where we could actually put air in the tire. And so we did make it home. And I was able to say, goodbye, see you in September. And that was, that was good. But it got me, th- as I thought about that experience... It got me thinking the way I viewed that was probably not the best way. You know, I viewed it as an obstacle stopping me from getting home. I was frustrated. I was angry. I'm pretty sure at one point I just threw my hands up in the air and said, God, why me? Because all these other youth groups were just driving right by. It's like, why me? Why am I stuck in this situation? Now, let me ask you. You ever experienced something in life where you're asking, why me? Where you're saying, what has happened I had these great plans, I have an objective, I had a goal, and now there's this obstacle preventing me from accomplishing that. Or maybe it's an obstacle that's redirecting you. Um, when we lived in Oakboro, we had to take the kids to my mom and dad's a lot. They were, they were our child care providers. And so we had a nice way to go, but then the bridge went out, and so we had to detour and so that bridge was an obstacle that added several minutes to my trip. Not a bad deal, but it was an obstacle that detoured me to have to go a different way. Sometimes in life, when we have goals and we have plans, there are going to be obstacles that cause us to detour. We have to do things that we didn't expect. Uh, we have to go places we didn't expect to go. And our attitude in those moments can be crucial Now, there's a lot of things we can talk about, and the Bible talks about trials and obstacles, but today we're going to focus on our attitude as we look at these circumstances. When we see an obstacle, and maybe you have an obstacle staring you in the face today, you can either look at it as, why me? Or you can say, how can you use me? You can say, why me, God? Or God, how can you use me? We can basically say it can be an obstacle or it can be an opportunity. And the Apostle Paul is writing from a prison. Uh, well, he's writing from being in prison. He's actually, uh, just, just so you understand, he's not in a dungeon. You know, when we say prison, we can think of like the bars and the Andy Griffith show and Mayberry. That's not really what he's in. He's in a house that he rented and he's just kind of house arrested. He's just stuck in the house under guard with restricted freedoms. He can't go anywhere, but he can see people. But it's it's a hard thing because he's experienced a lot of hardships to get him to Rome, which we'll go over in just a minute. And so the church in Philippi heard about this. Now they heard about the guy who planted the church. They heard about Paul, the Billy Graham of the first century, is in jail. And they're like, oh my goodness. You ever heard something like, oh my goodness, that person, they're going through this? So the church sends a guy named Epaphroditus to go and check on Paul and take him a gift. The church in Philippi, Paul's favorite church, a church that they partnered with over and over and over again. uh, He goes and Epaphroditus sends this gift to Paul to check on him. Because the church, they want, how is he? How's his physical condition? How is his imprisonment going? 
But they also want to see how is Paul responding to the persecution. How is Paul responding to these circumstances and the obstacles that he now faces? Because the church in Philippi is going through persecution. They're going through hardships. They are facing obstacles themselves. And so what Paul wants to write to the church is that he wants them to understand that you need to view your circumstances not as obstacles but as opportunities. Not as obstacles but as opportunities. And so here's what he writes. In Philippians chapter 1, I don't fall off the chair. Philippians chapter 1. He writes this, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me. Now, let me just give you a list. If you want to know what's happened to Paul that's led him to prison, start in Acts chapter 21 and read through the rest of the book of Acts. Because it's been a journey to get to this point in Paul's life. He goes to Jerusalem in Acts 21. There's a riot, so he has to live through that. Um, He ends up spending two years in a Caesarea prison before this. Uh, he then makes an appeal to Caesar, so he's got to travel to Rome. There's a threat to his life. The Jewish leaders want to kill him. He's illegally arrested. He's misrepresented in court. On his way to Rome, there's a shipwreck, and he's stranded for a while. When he gets to Rome, he's in this prison, this rented house, and he's forgotten about for two years. Two years with another two years of restricted freedom. He is the definition of a victim, a victim of these bad circumstances. That's what's happened to him. And so, and I mean, it's pretty bad. He's gone through a lot in about a four-year time frame. So he's, I want you to know, brothers in Philippi, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. All these circumstances have advanced the gospel. That word advanced is so awesome. It's describing a group of pioneer lumberjacks. And those lumberjacks went ahead of the Roman army and cut down all the trees and cleared a path So that when the soldiers and when the army actually got there, there was no obstacle standing in their way and they could continue to march to where they wanted to go. And so he's saying that me going through all these circumstances has actually cleared a path. It's advanced the gospel. It's progressed the gospel to where a new city, the mighty, mighty Rome itself, can now hear the gospel. The mighty army of the Roman Empire is hearing the gospel. So it's actually advanced the gospel. Verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. Fearlessly. So Paul says, these circumstances, as bad as they've been, have been an opportunity to glorify God and advance the gospel. So here's what I want us to see. How can we look at our circumstances as opportunities? The first one is, stay focused on the gospel. I mean, that's it. Stay focused on the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul is not focusing on what he's lost. He's not focused on what he can't do. He's not focused on the detour of his life. He's focused on the gospel. He's he's focused on spreading the gospel to anyone and everyone. He's not complaining. He's not whining. I've got a shirt, and there's actually a verse in Philippians that says, no, you know, don't complain. But I've got a shirt that I wore on a mission trip one one time that says, no whining. 
and I wear that on most of my youth trips we go on, is, you know, we're not going to whine, no whining. Paul's not whining. Paul's not complaining. He's in jail, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to be joyful and I'm going to celebrate because through this, I've got an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And I think it's easy for us to look at our circumstances and focus on what we don't have, what we've lost, or what we can't do. It's, it's easy for us. Now, if I was in prison, it would be easy for me to sit back and say, oh, bless my heart. I don't know what I'm going to do. Or I'm just going to give up. You know, I was doing this thing for God. I was spreading the gospel, and then I got arrested. God, why me? That's what our focus can be. And we can just give up. We can just quit. But Paul asked them, didn't he? didn't ask that question. He says, God, how can you use me? And because of this, people's lives were changed. So he has this focus on the gospel. Now, I just want to back up a little bit. There's three things I want to tell you that will help you stay focused on the gospel. First, never forget the impact that the gospel has had on your life. If you're a Christian... Don't ever forget how that good news message impacted you greatly and saved you from an eternity separated from God. Listen, Romans 6.23 is one of these passages that just give us the heart of the gospel. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are all sinful people. Everybody is sinful and separated from God. That is the reality. And this is what we have to remember. The world that we see that's not here, if they're not following Jesus, then they are sinful, they are lost, and the wage of sin is death. The result of the sinful life is death, and that is a separation from God. In the Bible, when you see this word death, oftentimes it is referring to just being separated spiritually from God. And that's a separation for all eternity. And those who die without knowing Christ are separated from God for eternity in hell. But look at the verse that says, but, but the gift of God is eternal life. Every gift has a giver. God gives us this gift of eternal life. God reaches down through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on a cross, and he saves us from the reality of this separation. And he restores us. Everybody in this room was destined or is destined for hell. But God sent his son Jesus Christ and saved us so that now we will have eternal life in heaven. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget what Jesus did for you. Don't ever forget that in your circumstances, he loves you dearly. He loves you enough to hang on a cross for you. And in all your circumstances and all the people that you interact with, you need to look at them and you need to ask yourself, do do they know Jesus? Do these people know Jesus? Jesus changed my life. I wanted to change their life as well. Paul is focused on his life-changing experience, and he doesn't want anybody to perish because God doesn't want anybody to perish. And so Paul is focused on what God has did for him, and you need to never forget the impact of the gospel on your life. Another thing to help you stay focused is pray. Pray that God would send people to you To share the gospel with. Pray for those divine encounters that you just know. Whether it's a coworker, a neighbor, a stranger at a gas station, or somebody in the beauty parlor or the barber shop, you just know. 
That God wants me to build a relationship with this person and to tell this person about the love of Jesus. Listen, they may reject it. They may not be receptive. Our job is to plant seeds. We are seed planters and we'll let God do the work. But you need to pray about opportunities to plant seeds in people's life. And the third thing that kind of goes with the first thing is tell your story often. Everybody's got a story about how you were saved. Now, I know you've probably heard these, you know, what we would consider powerful testimonies. You know, these guys who stand up and say, you know, I was a drug dealer and I was doing this and then God saved me. Well, yeah, that's a powerful testimony. And, you know, for me, it was just at a youth retreat for three days. I wasn't a bad kid. I was a good kid and God just saved me. That's a My testimony is a powerful testimony. Your testimony, no matter what it is, is a powerful tool to tell people about Jesus, so if you want to stay focused on the gospel, don't don't ever forget the impact on your life. Tell your story and pray for opportunities because it will change lives. The results of a gospel-focused life is going to change the lives of people. God can use you and wants to use you to change the lives of other people. Roman, uh, Paul is chained to Roman guards. This is the Imperial Guard, uh, the, kind of the elite special forces. I mean, these were the soldiers. And so these people, about 9,000 of them in Rome. And so every day, a couple times a day, they're just coming in doing shift changes. Now, can you imagine? This is what I see. Now, just, this is my sanctified imagination. Every time somebody shows up that's different, I bet Paul looks at them and be like, there's a new one. I get to tell somebody else. There's 9,000 of these people in the city, and here's another one. I get to tell them about GC. Paul didn't look at him being chained to a Roman guard. That's not how he viewed it. He viewed it as them being chained to him. That's, that's, I'm telling you. He had a captive audience. Rome was trying to shut him up and shut him down, but they gave him a captive audience because these people were literally chained wrist to wrist to Paul. They couldn't go anywhere. I bet Paul talked their ears off about Jesus. I bet he didn't be quiet. I bet he didn't shut up. And then if a new guy, let's say, you know, a guy was here one morning, he came back the next morning, I bet he's like, so where did we leave off yesterday? <laughs> oh, okay, well, let, let me continue the story. But also, man, I imagine Paul asking about their families. It was, I mean, it, it wasn't just about telling them, I mean, it was about the gospel, but I said, hey, John, no, let's say his name was probably Cletus. Hey, Cletus, or whatever, how's your dad doing? How's, how's your mom doing? How's your kids doing? He got to know these people. Most criminals are going to be angry and violent and hostile to these soldiers because they don't want to be there. But Paul took an interest in them. Paul loved them the way Christ loved them. He didn't see their skin color. He didn't see their uniform. He didn't see their economic status. He just saw a person that God loved. And he got to know them. You know, years, a couple years ago, we, we had some Jehovah's Witnesses that came to the house. And I know that can be kind of a, a you know, kind of, a, you know, not an obstacle. But people don't like you knocking. Hey, you know, it's kind of annoying. But there was, but I saw it as an opportunity. For six months, every Monday at 10 o'clock. The, I mean, they were, talk about people who can keep a schedule. Every Monday at 10 o'clock, they would knock on my door. And every week I took a pamphlet. Because if you take their pamphlet, they'll come back. And so that I can't, and but we had conversations. They told me what they believed, and there's some things we agree on, but the areas of disagreement we discussed. 
But here was the greatest thing I did. I built a relationship with him. One of the guys who was, uh, the young girl who started coming, she actually stopped. Uh, they wouldn't let her come anymore. Uh, I, I guess, I guess God was working on her heart. But the guy that came after her, you know, I found out his dad was in the hospital. So I checked on his dad every day. I got his phone number. We texted. We prayed together. It wasn't just about talking, uh, you know, about what we agree and disagree on. We were talking about each other's families. It built good, solid relationships. And I don't know. I mean, it was just planting seeds. We talked about the disagreements. We talked about Jesus. And I don't know where they're at today because, again, they wouldn't let him come. After a while, it was somebody else. Uh, and eventually, that, that third person that started coming, uh, he was pretty hostile. <laughs> so it just we just had to stop the conversation. Uh, but I don't know. God used me to plant a seed, so I don't know where they're at today. I hope and pray for them. The guy's name was Dale. Uh, her name, I think, was Susan. I pray for him often, and maybe one day I'll get to see him in heaven because of those opportunities. I didn't look at it as a, how can I get rid of these people as fast as I can? Because they're ruining my TV watching. I saw it as an opportunity to love on them and to spread the gospel. And I hope that their lives are changed through the gospel message. Paul is talking to these soldiers and he says it became known to them that I was in prison for my faith. They, Many of them received the gospel and their lives were changed. And one life changed. One soldier's life meant a whole family was probably reached with the gospel. And if, if, you, if you get a family, you get multiple families. If you get multiple families, you get a city. If you get a city, you can get a state. If you can get a state, you can get a nation. By committing to spreading the gospel to one person, lives can be changed forever. Listen, Paul didn't hate these people even though they hated him. And I just want to say this. If you want change in the world, hate Anger, division, revenge, complaining, whining will never change the world. Will never change it. If you want to see change in the world, then you better be spreading the gospel like crazy. Because it is the love of Christ and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's going to change the world we live in. That is the only thing that's going to change somebody's heart. I'm a really good debater. And I can debate with the best of them and I can win arguments. But you know what? Winning an argument will not change anything. Only the love of Christ will change the hearts of people. I mean, listen. I don't know what the next two, three, or four years are going to look like. I got no clue. And I know that some of us look at the circumstances of our nation as being an obstacle. And things might change. But we need to view it as, no matter what happens, we need to view it as an opportunity to tell people about Jesus. The early church, they were persecuted, they were hunted down, and they were killed. And they never stopped loving the people. And through the persecution, the early church exploded and grew. Not because of anything those people did, but because Jesus loves the people and they loved people like Jesus. That's where change comes from. There's power in the gospel. Another thing that results from being a gospel-focused person is the motivation for proclamation. Paul says, look, my imprisonment has emboldened people to stand up and preach the gospel. 
And, and, and uh, I love this. Remember, I told you at the beginning that the church in Philippi, they were waiting to hear how Paul responded to his circumstances. And I can imagine they're reading this and they're like the USA hockey team sitting there listening to the speech back in, uh, what, the 70s or 80s, the miracle movie. I saw that movie. It's really good. Or Notre Dame getting that Newt Rotney speech. I mean, they're just like, let's go. Man, Paul is in prison and he's sharing the gospel. I'm ready to jump up and go. Uh, we did this thing as a football team one time. We were in a conference championship game, and so the coach played um, Phil Collins um, oh, can, in the air tonight. You know, can, you know that, that's a great song, and he talked through it. Man, we as soon as that song was over, we jumped up. We went. Now we got beat, but we jumped up and we went out there, and we were motivated. Paul's circumstances motivated the people. Look, he's in prison, he's in chains, and he's still serving the Lord. Let's get up and let's go. Motivation for proclamation. They did it without hesitation, without fear, without uh, without fear of the consequences. Listen, many Christians in Philippi and around the world are going to die for their faith, but they can look at Paul, and Paul will eventually die for his faith. And they're going to kill Paul, not, not at the end of this imprisonment, but the end of his next imprisonment. He's going to die for his faith. But people are motivated to proclaim the gospel. Listen, as you read this, and you're like, man, i I, I got to tell my coworker. I got to, you know, this person I've been talking to, let me go have coffee with him and build a relationship. I don't care what the consequences are. I've got to do it because what you do might motivate somebody else. It's why I tell you the stories about the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's why I tell you the story about the interactions I've had because I hope it motivates you to go tell others about Jesus. You know, I mean, it's just people's lives need to be changed. Let this motivate you to go and tell. Your circumstances, no matter good or bad, your circumstances are an opportunity to spread the gospel. Paul's horrible circumstances have made it possible for the gospel to go into the most powerful city, to the most powerful military might in the world. And everyone else is hearing the gospel. I love that. He goes, the imperial guard know it and everyone else. The city's being changed. Lives are being changed. Paul is blazing a trail for the expansion of the gospel, setting an example for us to follow today. Several decades ago, there was a missionary who went down to Ecuador. His name was Jim Elliott. An anniversary of his death was this past week, so it's what got me thinking about it. He was a graduate of Wheaton College. He was passionate about Christ and he was committed to taking the gospel to a very dangerous and violent tribe in Ecuador. Elliot went down to engage the people and they went through a long process before they ever met the people, but he took a gun with them because they knew they were violent. But somebody asked him, he said, Jim, if they get violent, will you use your gun? And he, his response Jim Elliott said, no, I will not use the gun. They said, why? Because I know where I'm going. They don't know where they're going. He was willing to sacrifice his life to save their life until they had a chance to hear the gospel. And guess what? They went down there, him and his buddies, they went down there, they went to the village, and and all five of them died. The villagers got hostile, they took spears, And Elliot and his friends were speared to death. All because they were committed to advancing the gospel. 
Now, that's not the end of that story because word gets back to Wheaton College that it's happened. And a, a revival of international missions breaks out. And that college become, became committed to sending more and more people around the world to spread the gospel. But more impressive than that is his wife, Elliot's wife, in her circumstances, losing a husband, losing the father of her kids, she eventually gets on a plane, goes back to the same village, walks into that village where those people killed her husband, and she shares the gospel with them. The man who killed her husband, the exact person, there's pictures, you can find them. The man who killed her husband is a Christian and is probably in heaven today because she went back. That whole village accepted Christ because she went back in her circumstances to advance the gospel of Christ. We can almost hear Jim Elliott from his grave crying out, don't worry about your circumstances. Don't worry about the things that are happening. Advance the gospel no matter what. No matter what. As you continue to grow in your faith, as you're, uh, you need to be willing to stand up, step up, and speak out for Christ. There may be people who hate you and disagree with you and want to throw you in prison. Stand up, step up, and speak out. Because those people will spend an eternity in hell if we don't. They need us to share this truth with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul and for his example. We thank you for inspiring him to write this letter. To motivate us that through our circumstances, we can advance the gospel. That no matter what we go through, we can see it as an opportunity to bring glory to your name, to tell other people about Jesus. Father, we do pray this week, help us to have one conversation. Send us just one person, all of us, one person that we can tell about Jesus. And give us the fearlessness to do so. Give us the words to do so. Give us the boldness to say, Jesus loves you and this is how much. Bless this church. Bless us as a community and help us as a community to do it together impacting the world for Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.